you know, you can always get better at movement. I think it's naive to think that you can just say, oh, well, we've done our physical prep and here's a list of exercise. And I've sort of just watched when they're landing that they have to cope with such a massive amount of force, you know, multiple times body weight that they need to cope with going through them. You need to be able to run, you need to be able to jump, you need to be able to do all these athletic things because that general prep will serve you your entire gymnastics career. Welcome to the Gymnastics Growth Show. My name is Nick Roddick, a performance gymnastics coach providing world-class education, events and consultancy services to the international gymnastics and professional sports community. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing athlete and coach performance from grassroots to gold standard. Stay tuned to discover tactics and strategies designed to transform results for you and your athletes. Welcome to episode 17 of the Gymnastics Growth Show with strength and conditioning coach Daniel Lonsdale. Dan and I originally started working together back in 2013 throughout my national coaching period with British Gymnastics. Dan provided strength and conditioning support to a club which had numerous national squad athletes, including Amy Tinkler, who I later took on a personal coaching role with. Since our time together, Dan has continued to work with numerous sports at a high performance level, and he continues to be a great source of knowledge and expertise for me to tap into. Dan is now part of the Sport 981 team, based in Nottingham, where he integrates with a fantastic team of coaches catering for high performance athletes. In this episode, Dan and I talk about the importance of coaches building an integrated relationship with sports service providers. We discuss what the force of velocity curve is and how it applies to gymnastics, how athleticism is crucial as well as gymnastic-specific competence, the fundamental movement patterns which all athletes should be great at, and of course, much, much more. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a positive review on iTunes or Anchor and help share the episode with your network. Here's episode 17. Okay, cool. So, Dan, awesome. Thanks very much for being here. Um, looking forward to this discussion. I'm sure the uh, the audience are too. I think what's important for people to understand is that, you know, we've been working together for a, a few years. I think it was 2013 when we formally started a yeah. relationship um, yeah. of, of you working alongside me and the support that you gave me in the gym. Um, but before that, you had no prior knowledge of gymnastics whatsoever. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, no. So had you ever been into a gymnastics gym before the time that we started working Probably together. not, no, I was completely new, yeah. brand new. Yeah, that, 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 you know, that's how I remember it. I remember yeah. you coming in and, and kind of being amazed about what the little girls were doing. 100%. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know where to put my shoes. Right? Yes, so. yeah, I actually, I, I remember it quite <laughs> Take well. Take your shoes off. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, I was completely new to that, that, that whole environment of just seeing all these incredible little athletes just acting like it was normal that they could do these things. Yeah, um, and I was just sat there, just trying to figure out what that you know what on earth I was going to do with them. You know, I was like, you know, I could see them doing all these amazing things. I was like, what can I offer to this environment? Yeah, how can you add extra value? Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's very different from about the time you were you were predominantly just rugby at the time, weren't you? Yeah, so I was I was running the um, Durham University rugby program there, so I was in charge of you know upwards of eighty rugby lads, but all just very different creatures to. Yeah, men for Gymnast, a start, yeah, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, so exactly. Big, big strong men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, you know, I think heaviest is 130 something kilos. So, you know, completely different yeah, animals. Op- opposite ends of the yeah, spectrum. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, again, what's interesting to me is although 
so that's how it started and I, I do now remember the, the first day that you came in it was cool and, and uh, you know we just connected straight away yeah, didn't we but 100%. I think we we connected straight away because we've both got that same desire to, to learn and improve so I saw you as a great opportunity for me yeah. to increase my knowledge of strength and conditioning and, and applying that into gymnastics you definitely saw the benefit of being able to learn from yeah. from myself and the other gymnastics coaches about yeah. how gymnastics works and and I think that's really critical for people to understand is that um, I always encourage other coaches to do the same thing you know find oh, yeah. an outsider who is you know got expertise in a given field in your case strength yeah. and conditioning which goes way deeper than my knowledge of the science behind strength and conditioning mm. um, get people like that in and start to build that relationship because I've learned a lot from you yeah, I'd yeah. like to think that you've learned a lot from me with, with regards to the gymnastic side well, of massive, things massive, massive. Um, and now our relationship is such that we meet up quite regularly we are we're very close friends as opposed to just yeah, um, just professional yeah. relationships so uh it's a match made in heaven, really. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, no, but on a, on a serious note, it's this kind of relationship that other gymnastics coaches or any technical coaches from different sports should go out and, and find. Because now what I've got from a, um, a professional sense is I've got an um, external relationship with someone who I can go to seek help and guidance from, yeah. uh, which is exactly how our relationship started is, exactly. you know, over, the, over the course of between then and, I guess, for me, just prior to Rio, you, you were there supporting me in terms of yeah. the strength and condition requirements that I had for the likes of Amy Tinkler and, and everyone from Amy all the way down yeah. to those younger athletes as well. Yeah, no, same. So like, I think it's just <clears throat> massively useful to have someone just at the end of the phone where you know you can ask a question without any judgment. Just being passed it all, no matter how how simple that, that may be. Um, and I think that's the relationship we have is it's just if you have a question, you'll happily ask me, I'll give you the answer, whether it's an easy one or or not and it's it's vice versa so no, I think that's massively massively useful I think it's just at the time you were <clears throat> you were you know that one of the head technical coaches there so it was you've got to get on with that technical coach right from the get-go as well because they're the decision makers yeah you know they're the ones that are programming and planning so you know you need to have that strong relationship but we just happened to click like you said because it's just a great opportunity to learn off someone who mm -hmm. you know just fills in the gaps in our knowledge so it was just massively useful. Yeah, it was Definitely. great. Yeah, it was wicked. What I see a lot from on my travels around the world and, and the country is that a lot of clubs do have help mm. in the sense that they do kind of outsource strength and conditioning yeah. or outsource physiotherapy. But where they go wrong, <clears> from my <throat> perspective, is that the relationship very much stops when the athlete walks out of the gym to go and work yeah. with that person. So, so you were right there with me or I was right there next to you. Mm -hmm. We were next to each other. Yeah. We were learning together. We were looking, asking questions. That works. However, the opposite way of doing things, which is, right, go and spend 45 minutes with Dan down the gym yeah. um, and come back and join in with me when you're done. Now, that to me doesn't work because the coach, the technical coach here, doesn't know what that person has done. In your case, yeah. the strength and conditioning coach has done. Doesn't know the rationale, doesn't know yeah. the, the movement qualities. And of course, doesn't know the, the ins and outs of like how much volume have they just gone and done based on the fact that they've got yeah, to yeah. now do some more technical training again. And, um <laughs> And I, and I hear it all the time, like, right, cool. So they, you know, the coach will say, yeah, she goes to a physio. I'm like, cool. Um, beyond the physio's name, do you know anything about their relationship? Like, not really. Do you have any contact with them? No, they just talk to the athlete. I'm like, okay. And don't get me wrong, I understand there are medical things and there's yeah. certain consent that the physio would need to receive from the yeah, parent. Like, I get all that. But that's easy stuff to sort easy. out. Um, easy fixed. 
But if that is the nature of your relationship, just send someone away to either get fixed or to, to try and improve them, yeah. then that for me, the, the coach is, is really failing in that relationship. Yeah, I think I think if, you, if you're seeing it as a, a ticky, box, ticky box exercise, yeah. you know, I think, you know, congratulations, you've done a job. Um, but like you said, you know, if I disappear down the gym with the athletes, you, you don't know what you don't know what I'm doing in the sense of, you know, you don't know what exercise I'm doing. You don't know the volumes and intensities. At the end of the day, we all have to dip into the same pot for, for volume. So, yes. you know, say, you, you know, you, you're doing high volume and, and I haven't realized it. And then we're down the gym and I've done high volume, high intensity. All of a sudden, there's a spike in that workload and that's where you're going to get those issues. And that all just comes from having that siloed approach is you just being coach and me being a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and I think any any of those environments where I think of re, where I've been in where they've really flourished is where you stood side by side and actually you maybe wouldn't be able to tell who who is leading what mm. in the sense of you just stood there having a conversation and I'm discussing movement and you're discussing technique and we're, we're working together in that sort of really true support yeah supported method yeah and you you mentioned before we started the word integrated which is what I really like is yeah. it's, it's, it's a complete integration 100%. of of strength and conditioning or support services with, with the technical side of things. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let, let's be honest, the reason why that doesn't happen much is, is it could be a number of reasons. One of them is is the lack of control for the technical coaches. Isn't it? A lot of coaches need to feel like yeah. they're in control, yeah. um, which is often a disservice to, to the athlete because yeah. that's not necessarily the right thing for the athlete. Mm. I think so. I think it's only natural for a coach to want to have control of that situation I think that's a very natural feeling I think it's just making sure that as a as a support staff I can add enough value for them to think that I'm not trying to take the reins I'm just trying to yeah like if I'm asking a question it's genuinely because I'm just curious about what I'm seeing um it's not me prodding and poking around it's I just I just want to know the answer mm. so I think if you can do that more you can just slowly start to get, you know, you've got to build that trust first with the coach and then, you know, once you've got to work with the athletes, build yeah. the trust there as well. Yeah, and I think a great thing that you did with me is if you had an idea, because yeah. you would you would go away and you would call me later and you'd say, oh, you know, I've been thinking <laughs> about this, you know, how how I can get these 10-year-olds to be able to work that action harder and yeah. I've got this idea. And you'd float that idea with me first and yeah. I would go, Dan, I love that, let's give that a go yeah. next week. Or, yeah, we do a bit of that already, so let's try something else. Yeah, and, exactly. and therefore, I didn't need to feel like I was... Um, the dominant one in no. the relationship because it was <laughs> yeah, a case yeah. of the fact that we'd already discussed stuff and it was it was mutually agreed before you'd even entered the gym what was going to happen wasn't it so. yeah and I'd be driving home and just racking my brains you know you'd show me a movement and I'd be thinking I don't know the answer to that right now so rather than give you it yeah I'm going to go away think about it and then like you said give you a ring and then if you said no it wasn't like a, a sort of slight on me it was just that actually it wasn't right yeah. so great let's come up with another solution we should mm. be problem solvers at, at the end of the day so I think that's the the key thing is just don't be upset if you if you know if you make a suggestion it's a no it's not a personal thing it's just a professional thing so yeah so, and, and at the end of the day movement's movement I mean yeah. Yeah, yeah so our athletes for example doing what we would call a, a shaposhnikova which would be like throwing um, opening the shoulders aggressively yeah. from the low bar flying up to the top bar yeah um, you probably still don't know what that is but I know you've yeah. seen I know you've seen yeah. yeah but I know you've seen that <laughs> yeah, in yeah. the gym and and the, the kind of the reason why I'm explaining this is that okay, it's a very gymnastic specific skill, yeah. but the movement is still just lifting your arms up and down. And that yeah, is yeah. something that you would have taught a number of different athletes Lots. to do because you've worked under so many different sports, yeah. whether it's rugby or pole vault, triple jump, 
yeah. table tennis and all the other areas yeah, that you've worked in. Yeah, diving. So it's like, well, at the end of the day, there's only so many different ways the body can move. Mm. Just because it's a gymnastic skill doesn't mean that you have no idea no. how to coach that movement because yeah. movement's movement, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's just, like you said, movement's movement. So I will always be looking things, you know, just watching movement and, and trying to figure out, you know, is it limited? How can I help? Is it a force issue? Is it a rate of force issue? Is it a mobility issue? Those are, you know, that's when my brain's working overdrive when I'm stood watching a gymnast yeah. do something. It's, that's what I'm thinking. Right, let's touch on that because that's quite an important thing. The difference between force and an RFD, so rate of force development. Yeah. So let's, let's just, for the listeners, what is important? What is force production? What umbrella does that sit under? How yeah. would that apply or which sport would, would there be an obvious example of force being applied? So when you, when you hear the word force, think of strength. Okay. So how hard can you push your feet down into the ground? It's so, an example of force. Yeah. So yeah. if you're doing something um, such as powerlifting and you do a big heavy squat, that's mm-hmm. strength training. Yeah. Um, it's just how hard can you push your, your feet into the ground, get that opposite reaction and stand up to the top. Yeah, rate of force development is the rate at which you do that. So that's how quickly can you produce force. Mm-hmm. So that's where the term, that umbrella term of, of power comes from. So how quickly can you do things? What's that snappy yeah. effect that you can you can do? Okay, so, so on our, and um, we're going to get a bit technical here, but yeah. of course we've got the force velocity curve, yeah. which is a very um, important concept within strength and conditioning. Yeah. So right at the top of that, you've got force, Force is measured, of course, in newtons. Mm-hmm. That would be typically a slow-moving, high-strength activity, in which you just used an example there of a, a, a back squat, for yeah. example. You've yeah. got 200 really kilos in the shoulders, yeah. which, of course, I don't do. Uh, <laughs> and, and, it, and it'll be you know one to two reps. Okay, That is a very high force yeah. exercise. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, as we come down that curve, we've got then a, what we, we call a power exercise. Mm-hmm. That is basically then um, creating force, but creating it fast. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to create the same level of force as what you did when you were moving slowly, mm-hmm. because that's where power's yep. coming in. It's yep. the speed, and then right at the bottom of the curve, we've got velocity, which is measured in meters per second, yep. and that is basically just absolute velocity, isn't it? Really, yeah, it's just it's, it's just speed. How quickly can you move it? Yeah, <clears throat> and then, but with little force production. Yeah, and yeah. sprinting would be an example of that, wouldn't it? So it's nothing quicker than that. So in that sense, that's probably some of your best. Yeah, yeah, velocity-based training. So and just. Each each area of that curve, the key thing from this is just each area of that curve is just really important. Yeah. Um, for the gymnast or for any athlete, it's just making sure that you develop in those areas at the right time, or if someone's lacking in, you know, if someone's very forceful but not particularly very quick, or well, maybe we need to, you know, keep working on the force, but just have a little bit more focus on other areas. It's mm. just like, I think it was very got better and SC coach said you've got to surf, you've got surf to surf curve. that curve. Yeah. And just make sure you're, you're developing all aspects of that athlete all the time, particularly in gymnastics where they need to be so well-rounded. Yes, there are yeah different components, aren't there? There's so, so many components mm. to that sport, so that curve becomes even more important. So from so f- maybe perhaps from someone who's, um, who's in gymnastics, I mean, mm. most of the people that are listening to this will be gymnastics coaches. Yes. Uh, they won't be able to think of a technical example, okay. like a technical skill, where you need to produce high amounts of force mm-hmm. in terms of 
top of that the top of that curve. Yeah? yeah. I can think of many examples of velocity. Yeah. I can think of many examples of force production in terms of like power. So the sorry the rate of force production, but. You know, like a one rep max for is not something that we really need in yeah, gymnastics. So, really. why is that still important? <laughs> so, um, if you're looking at, for example, right before you start your vault, you you have to accelerate. Yes. You have to overcome what we call initial inertia, which is basically the amount of force required to get you moving, to, to get you going. Those first three steps of acceleration are so important for your, you know, your your max velocity mm-hmm. as, you, as you hit that board. So. You need to be forceful. You need to push into the floor, and it needs to be a, a more extended yep. t- contact time on the floor in order to get yourself going. And once you're going, that's when you start going to attack the ball. So that's an example of where force would be. Yeah. So what you're very, basically saying is that strength yeah. underpins power and speed. Is that right? Yeah, it feeds it basically. So okay. if you if you improve the bit of the curve and move it along, yeah, at the top there's a high chance it's going to improve everything else along that way to a certain point. Mm. And it's trying to find out when that point is. So how strong is strong enough? Mm. It's how long is a piece of string, but it's how strong is strong enough. Yeah, and I guess the best way of getting stronger is to is to do strength elements. The best yes. way to be powerful is to train power. And the yeah. best way to be fast is to is to train speed. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Know, and it's best, the purest method. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, a lot of people say the best way to run fast is to run fast. Yeah. You know, like yeah, yeah. if you want to run quicker... Run quicker, practice, just that, that's it. Yeah, practice quicker, running yeah. quicker. Yeah. Um, but what we're also saying here is that is there the you know making sure we're fulfilling all the aspects there within yeah. a holistic training program yeah. is going to make sure the athlete is is uh, well rounded, like you said. Yeah. I guess yeah. the other the other thing is on on the force stuff. It's not just force production; it's reducing force. Yeah, Mass- um, massive. I, I know we've we've talked a lot about landing, haven't we? Whether that's single leg or double leg. Yeah. But let's take a. We'll go high-end example, a double-twisting Yachenko, mm-hmm. which is obviously a vault that Amy competed yeah. num- numbers of times. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be able to absorb that energy safely, to dissipate yeah. the force on mm-hmm. landing, whether that's sticking it or taking a step, it's, it's yeah. irrelevant. There's a huge amount of energy which is having to be dissipated on landing. That is force reduction yeah. or energy reduction, mm-hmm. and that you need strength for. Massive, yeah. It, that's... That's one of the biggest components for, for you know, the guys and girls is that when they're landing, they have to cope with such a massive amount of force, you know, multiple times body weight that they need to cope with going through them. In order to cope with that, it's simple. You just need to be strong. Mm. You know, you need to have good eccentric strength, which is obviously just the ability to, to pop the brakes on and just, just manage manage that force and cope with it. And I think that's the problem that we see sometimes is, you know, that that is lacking and then it becomes a you know biomechanical issue as it shoots up through the ankles, the knees, the hips, the back, and it's everything's connected. It into goes it. upstream, and it'll just try and find the weakest point. Is how I've always tried to imagine it. Is it'll just try and float up there and find out yeah. what's not doing its I job. I love that example. Yeah, goes yeah. upstream. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah it starts yeah. with the feet, and then yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's a really interesting point there. Um, and again, if we think back to our working relationship with. Yeah. Tinkler specifically. Um, I mean, Amy was a, was a great athlete, obviously, for me to work with, but she was a great person for me to learn from yes. because she was a an amazing talent. Mm-hmm. But she, but and as and she knows, and, and you know that um, she had a lot of red flags. Yeah. So there were a lot of parts of that chain which could have failed, yeah. which is why my work with you and and of course uh, Rudy, Louise Fawcett, Lindy, those guys yeah. at the English Institute of Sport was yeah. was so valuable because it helped me to understand the importance of filling in the gaps yeah. 
And, yeah. and for me, there's kind of, there's five benefits or real um, reasons why we do physical prep. One of them is filling the gaps. So yeah. you've got an athlete such as Amy. Okay, she's lordotic. So mm-hmm. she's got an anterior pelvic tilt, um, tight ankles, for example, as a result of that weak core and what is perceived to be a lack of shoulder flexion. It's, it's not actually, yeah. it's because the core is weak and, yeah. and thoracic's too mobile. But um, that's the athlete that we're given. Now mm-hmm. she's got... Those red flags, but also she's extremely fast. Insanely quick. Insane, insanely quick. So quick. Very plyometric. Yeah. Um, her ability to produce force is unreal. Now, yeah. frightening. Yeah. But we've also got this is another huge red flag because you've got an athlete with that level of force yeah. production yeah. and speed and pliability, but actually she can't accept landings very well. Um, the ankles didn't flex much on landing. Uh, the, the, the back was a weak part of the chain. So, my work with you and the EIS team really helped me to understand that that could have been a recipe for disaster yeah. unless we invested time. Yeah. Or let's come back to the curve. We're basically saying that she was very good at power production, yeah. very good at velocity. So the two bottom parts of the curve mm-hmm. were served. Yeah. But the force bit, actually, yeah. there was a real weakness, wasn't there? And that's why yeah, we, was, we, yeah. we put in a great program, which just topped it all off really for her. It helped yeah. her massively. I remember initially working with her and she wasn't... You look at Amy and she, she, she looks... You know, she's highly conditioned. She's very strong. Um, but you get her in the gym, and actually, some of the numbers initially she was pushing weren't weren't great. It's not all about numbers, obviously, but it's just you know, it's an indicator. Um, but I think the fantastic thing with her was just the rate at which she picks things up. Yeah. So it's just like anything you, you coached her is that you start practicing something with her, and then all of a sudden she's great at it. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think the key thing from there is just you notice straight away is that. You know, these are what we're seeing from a, a biomechanical point of view, movement point of view, and then, you know, she can do all of these great things, but they all include, you know, very forceful or rate rate of force things. You know, she's very stiff. Yeah. Um, that's a red flag unless you manage that one hundred percent. And I think that was just well managed because, again, just that open relationship between uh, me, you, and and the people at the IS as well. There was no like pulling for control. It was just let's what's the best solution and let's yes. just do that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's an athlete-centered approach, mm-hmm. so we've got to take that for what's best for Amy. So, which I think is what we did. What we did, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. Like good answer. Yeah, um, I mean, what we're talking about here is again one of the main things that you've taught me, along many other things, is mm. the importance of athleticism. Yeah, and yeah. and I think it, it, as gymnastics coaches, we do have a habit of being a bit narrow-minded, and we, you know. It's not uncommon to hear things like, yeah, but this is gymnastics. We're different. You know, mm-hmm. gymnastics is a different sport. And yes, of course it is. But like yeah. we said, movement's movement. The human body is the way it is, irrespective yeah. if you're doing badminton or swimming or yeah. diving or rugby. Like mm-hmm. the body responds to certain things. Athleticism, of course, is something that you really said to me. You know, like, These kids need to be athletic. They need to just be able to run fast, jump higher. Yeah jump further you know it's that general kind of movement which is important because i see a lot of athletes sorry see a lot of gymnasts that that lack that yeah and what they'll be very good at is their is their technical work so to speak but actually you ask them to do some basic single leg hopping or or like a basic running program and they lack coordination Mm -hmm. they lack awareness um any kind of competence and you're thinking that this can't be good yeah it can't be good that a nine-year-old is not developing their yeah. athleticism and they're only developing their gymnastic stuff. Yeah, it's very... You need many strings to your bow, don't you? And it's if you have that ability to produce amazing lines and, and all the things that are required for gymnastics, great. Absolutely great. However, you know, you've got... Athlete, first and foremost, for me, obviously, yes, and C coach, I'm always going to say that, but it's... 
you need to be able to run, you need to be able to jump, you need to be able to do all these athletic things because that general prep will serve you your entire gymnastics career. You know, you're, like you said before earlier, is you're, you're filling in the gaps. And what I think what you would find as well is if you develop those things, it would actually solve a lot of your issues further down the line as well. Technical so, issues as well. Yeah, 100%. So if you've got someone who isn't stiff, but you haven't practiced any jumping and landing and hopping and skipping and running and those things, well, you know, you can't really expect them to be stiff then mm. because all you've done is, you know, you've been practicing your floor routines, you've been drilling your floor routines. But And what, sorry, when you say stiff there, we're not talking about lack of range of motion. Yeah, we're talking about sort of... Um, tension? Yeah, tension. Rigidity. We call it like, stiffness. Yeah, yeah exactly we call right. it like tendon recall. So like okay. basically like stiffen and then spring out, like yeah. pulling, and, pulling and letting go of an elastic yeah. band. Just to, for Principal. the avoidance of doubt for anyone listening... Normally, when you and I would would say the yeah. word stiff, yeah, we're, we're talking about yeah, like sort stiffness. of rigidity yeah. Yeah. as opposed to uh, what a lot of coaches will think when we say stiff is yeah, how flexible not, yeah, they are. Flexible yeah, yeah. Or range of movement. Yeah, 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 it's not that. Yeah, no, that's cool. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've just come down or come back from a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of my many international trips last year uh, or this year, and one of the conversations was, you know, I said Look, you need to do more physical prep, and they said, well, we can't afford to do any more. And I was like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. Yeah. You can't afford not to. Yeah, wow. Nice. And because if, if you don't spend an extra bit of time now, you're basically going to be shortening your athlete's career by like mm-hmm. eight, nine years. Yeah. And I see this time and time again. It's like, right, we need to get on the apparatus. We need to get on the apparatus. And of course you do. Yeah, 100%. But it's a balance. Yeah. And it's about, um, it's about finding that balance and making sure that you're not compromising physical for technical. Because if you get your solid foundations in physically, then you're extending the length of their career that you're going to have the opportunity to teach them skills anyway. As opposed to, let's just do the bare minimum of physical. Well, now what's happening is you're going to get on the kit. Your kids are going to be less competent because Mm -hmm. they're not physically prepared to do what they're doing. You're going to hit a very early plateau in their skill development. And then as soon as puberty comes along, bam, that's it, you're done. And I see it over and over again because weaker athletes or ill-prepared athletes can't tolerate puberty that you know as soon as they grow um and all the other things that are happening in terms yeah. of their uh, muscles are getting tighter mm-hmm. um you know just height and all, all, all list, yeah it? the long list of things which is which is changing um that is when it's just going to exploit the fact that they they've been ill prepared yeah it's nice just to hear just coaches making bold claims like that like i'm not uh, i love coaches hit same but you know you've got to do this stuff because like you said if you're shortening the careers you the amount of time you have to work with them is just so limited. Mm. And when what you've got to do with them is so complex. So give yourself the, the longest amount of time yeah. to just tweak and, and work with your athletes. And, and by doing some, some physical prep work and just threading it in, thread it in around where you think it fits. Um, how long, I don't, you know, roughly on average, how long do you have your athletes for a week? In gymnastics, yeah. I guess at a performance Depend. level, it will be somewhere between... 20 and 30 hours a week yeah, for you have plenty of time oh there's, there's to, time yeah to, to do some physical prep stuff yeah you know whether that's threading it into the warm-up or breaking up the day so you you know the, there's time for you to do mm. that there's mountains of time in that week in order for you to to drip feed mm. some elements of physical prepping which is you know what we did when we worked together is there wasn't these big right now you've got to go and do a massive block of this it was just being done 30 minute chunks yeah 30 minute chunks in little areas of focus that we thought were important at the time yeah yeah I think that's critical Dan I mean I talk about um, a third of time should be spent on physical prep yeah you mentioned that the warm-up is an ideal place to get physical Perfect. preparation in. Um, I've got a concept called The Daily Dozen, which yeah. some of the listeners will, will be familiar with. Um, you've seen my octagon, of course, as yeah. well. Um, there's 
conditioning before the technical stuff there's conditioning after there's yes. there's stretching you know it's about a third so if yeah. you're training 30 hours a week about 10 of that roughly is going to be spent on physical prep so and 10 hours a week is is sufficient as long yeah. as you're getting 10 hours worth of work done or as much as yeah. you can fit in 10 hours yeah again a lot of clubs will say to me right we, we need more training time like we're only training 18 hours yeah. a week i need 24 25 to get better and i'm like hang on you're not using what you've yeah. got like the last thing that I would do in your situation is give yourself more hours. I would train faster. Yeah. I would look at the fact that your program just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, like you've got no, there's no formula. There's no process or structure to your mm-hmm. program. Let's deal with that first. Yeah. Um, you know, you've just done a five minute run around and they've sat on the floor stretching 15 minutes talking like, well, if you're doing that five days a week, well, there's an hour, an hour and 15 minutes there that you can get back yeah, straight away. Yeah. It's you, those kind of discussions. Yeah, you, you know, tr- you, know you, you clean that up by maybe... 10 minutes a day and you add that up over a month you've got a staggering amount of time absolutely you know if i said to you as a coach you know you know if we you know if we give you an extra 50 minutes a week you'd like snap my hand off at it yeah it's in there somewhere just find it yeah and just clean clean up little areas and just try and just try and streamline that process a little bit better yeah make it more just make it more efficient isn't it Optim- yeah, optimize just, the schedule. yeah just a little bit it's like you said just between apparatus so just making sure the flow of that session's a little bit better or yeah. Tickets for Europe's leading gymnastics conference, GymCon, go on sale later this month, but there's still time to get on the priority list before they do. Priority list members get the earliest buying window at the cheapest possible prices to what will be another outstanding event packed with inspiration and transformational learning opportunities. To sign up for the free priority list, visit gymcon.co.uk before January the 18th. Now, back to the podcast. It's the power of accumulation. Like you said, 10 minutes every day adds up to an awful lot and if a, yeah, if a coach said if you said to a coach right I'm going to give you another 50 minutes of bars this week you'd be like oh yes yeah that's but gone it's I'll gone straight away yeah. I'd take it but. yeah <laughs> 50 minutes of physical preparation it's like oh yeah sounds I'll, really exciting I'd rather go on the bus it's like yeah. well I get it I would rather actually I wouldn't I like the physical prep yeah, but yeah, I understand why teaching a catch F and a double back or yeah. these new elements I understand why it's important um However, as a coach, I also understand why coaches are in this situation. Now, we've got two things happening with the sport. I mean, we've got more, but two specific things here. The, the average age of athletes is increasing, which is a great thing. Awesome. It's no, you no longer had to be this, you know, very slight, um, you know, less than four foot tall, yeah. uh, 16-year-old gymnast. It's like actually you've got 24, 25, 26-year-olds, mm-hmm. which are common now. And killing it as well. And doing very well, yeah. yeah. You mean killing it. You, we're talking like winning international medals. Yeah. So... So that's great. And effectively, what that basically means is we've bought an extra possible 10 years. Mm-hmm. However, we've still got this time where the earlier we can teach skills, yeah. the um, because of the neuroplasticity, because of the way the body adapts, um, because of how how kids just retain information when mm-hmm. they're young. Of course, we don't want to just say, right, we'll just wait three years to teach yeah. a backflip. Like We can't do that. So mm-hmm. it's... It's, it's still this balancing act yeah. because although the careers are getting longer, the sport, again, is just always getting more complex. And yeah. so the demands on an eight-year-old are more now than they were 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. And so I don't get me wrong, I do understand why coaches are, are drawn to, I've got to do more technical because yeah. I've, got, I've got a big competition coming up. But it's taken a step back, isn't it, and understanding, well, how important really is this specific competition that you're working for, for this eight-year-old yeah. in the big picture? Looking like, forward, yeah. Yeah, you know, like take your ego out of it and just mm. take take away the fact that you might not have a kid at that level competing. And um, But for me, it's like, 
I want to build that foundation with that age group mm-hmm. in the gym. I want them to be solid. I still want them to compete, yeah. but maybe just selective competitions. Mm-hmm. If I can't find an appropriate competition, I'll create one myself. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's that kind of stuff so that I think so. they stay on the right path and you yeah. don't compromise your physical. It's just looking forward, isn't it? And just making sure that, you know, you're planning years ahead, not just months and, you know, weeks and months. Um, I think what you said was interesting there was maybe just, you know, a couple of comps a year or just highlighting key comps. So these are the ones we're really going to target and we're going to go for because actually preparing for competition is massive and it's going to be really important for them. Um, but yeah, just target key ones and just, you know, make sure that you're, you're working hard towards those key comps. Yeah, I like that. It's just, yeah, you're right. It's being selective, making sure that everything that you're doing with the young athletes is, is based on their long-term development is there is there you know where is their potential Mm -hmm. what's the right pathway for them and sometimes just being brave about it again i understand that the objections from the coaches would be things like the parents and you know they want their eight-year-olds to be competing at national competitions and and that again is another relationship that has to be well managed so that they understand the trust in your decisions as as coaches but um for me, and and to be honest, it's probably parents listening. If there is a parent listening, you know, it's really not important to be winning at competitions at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. It really is kind of irrelevant. They are indicators, but they are not um, predicting factors which will determine whether your child or whether the athlete that you're coaching is going to succeed long term. And we've seen it time and time again yeah. in gymnastics. Yeah. So you've got a, a very talented nine-year-old gifted genetically but also you know agility wise they will top the podium at national mm-hmm. competitions mm-hmm. and you won't see them after the age of 11 you know it's not to say that they haven't got the potential but it's basically it's not indicative of the fact that they're going to be a senior athlete yeah of course it's just it's such a long time isn't it between that point and then so many things can happen it's just just making sure that you're just not banking on getting some results early on yeah i think if you do i'm being comfortable if you're not yeah just i think i think just be happy not to. It doesn't mean that, particularly to the parents, it's you know you're not discrediting their their child in any way, is mm. it? or their potential of their child. It's not that. It's just you know I'm looking forward and I'm looking. I'm you know I'm thinking, I'm thinking big. Yeah. I'm not not little for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A difficult part of of that is that a lot of coaches will feel that they're on the right path when they've got a nine, ten year old that are yeah. topping those competitions. The consequences of not investing in physical preparation will obviously come a lot later than nine yeah. or ten years old. So, so what you might see is, right, my kids top in the country, or at least they're in the top ten. You know, they're winning within the regions. They're they're doing really well. They're achieving all their skills. Now, to the coach that's looking, it's like there's nothing wrong. Yeah, I'm on the right path. Yeah. Like they they're winning medals. They're passing all their levels that they might need, yeah. and and therefore, it's this is where experience comes in, isn't it? Yeah. It's understanding that. Right, I've been through this process before. I know that that didn't work for my last generation, yeah. despite having these same indicators. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I need to do something new. Yeah. Or if you don't have that experience, it's then it's bringing in external eyes. Yeah. Uh, it could be like me, for example. It doesn't have to be me. There are many coaches that will, will do this kind of work or take, mm-hmm. take an athlete to another environment and say, look, can you just look at this kid yeah. that I've got? I'm working with her. You know, we're doing 20 hours a week. She's done really well. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want this observational bias and I learned that term this week I love it it, yeah Yeah, observational bias yeah because when I when I see my athlete I see a bias I see the same things that I like to talk about you Mm -hmm. know I I talk about Mm -hmm. her head being out I talk about the fact that Mm -hmm. she's got this body position there but what do you see because I don't want to be looking through the lens of my bias Mm -hmm. Um, that's where 
that's where I'm useful. And I guess, you know, you know the nature of the work that I do. Um, I'm a problem solver yeah. for many people. When a federation contacts me, they are normally, they have a problem that yeah. they need solving. Yeah. You know, so if that's, uh, let's say that was, I'm not going to name federations here, it's probably not the right thing to do. But um, as you know, I've now consulted in 19 around the world and yeah. everyone's got a little bit of a different challenge. Some of it is quite generic education. Mm-hmm. Like we need to be better on acrobatics. Yeah. Help our coaches. Um, some of it is, they wouldn't use this language, but essentially they're telling me, we've got a bias to what we see. We need another pair of eyes. What do you see? Mm -hmm. Because you are, um, you know, I'm not attached to a certain federation. It's very easy for me to go over to France and say, right, this is what I see, guys. Or go over to Germany. This is what I see. In Brazil, this is what I see. Now get to work and like, let me know if I can help you anymore. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think that's massively useful. Maybe if if we go back to when I first went into that gym and I'm sat on the bench and I'm looking around going, well, what am I going to do? And then... I actually start to look and it's like, actually, hang on a minute. You know, I'm seeing this on the landing or I'm seeing this. And I started to slowly build up confidence of there are things I can do here. And that was, like you said, it was just fresh eyes. Yes. It's because, you know, that technical coach, I'm, I'm never one to bash a technical coach, but one of the hardest jobs in the world and you're on your own journey as well as I am is it's, you've got so much to focus on. I think bringing in fresh eyes, particularly in certain areas and just being open and honest, being like, have a look. Tell me what you think. I think that's probably one of the best things for your, your coaching environment ever. Because all of a sudden, you know, like you said, you take those rose tinted glasses off and you you can you can see quite clearly mm. that there's work to be done in, in areas. Great. Yeah, I think it's one of the most valuable things you can do. Get out your four walls. Yeah, do it. Or get people... For me, it's better to get out your four walls yeah. because it completely opens up your, your mind mm. to... To a totally different environment like the and it sounds stupid but the way that it looks the way that it feels the way that it sounds Everything. like how's the energy like all of those different things all those different stimulus yeah. triggering will you'll learn as long as you've got the right mindset you'll learn massive amounts so yeah. if you can take a couple of your athletes with you then that, that's Amazing. great it's a different kind of uh, arrangement that when you do that I sometimes like just to sit in a gym with a notepad yeah. you know um, others yeah take an athlete let other coaches work with your kids or at least watch your kids. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to work with them, then just let them watch and say, look, would you mind just telling me what you see? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I've done this with you, which is an interesting thing here because we've yeah. done this with, with the physical stuff, right? Yeah. So, so let's bring this around to a slightly different, different discussion then. Um, there are basics within gymnastics. There are basic skills as there are within all sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything that we teach in gymnastics is kind of derived it's born branches out from these root skills yeah, yeah. And positions for example now the same thing does apply in strength and conditioning doesn't it and yeah. there's there's only a, a certain number of of movements so can you just tell me what what those patterns are that you really look for and would look to make sure that they're you know robust yeah we used to talk about um squatting hinging pushing pulling with your pushing and pulling you would do vertical and horizontal so uh you know a, a push a vertical push would maybe be something going over your head. Mm-hmm. A vertical, uh, horizontal push would be something like a push-up or yeah. a press-up. Um, and a vertical pull would be something like a chin, a pull. And a horizontal would be something more like a, a, a bent-over row or um, a inverted row and rings. Reverse like fly, that. would that be a pull? Yeah, something like that. You're looking, now you'd be working mm-hmm. that rear chain. Yeah. So, and then for your core, you'd be looking at... Um, Rotation, anti-rotation, bracing, core stability. So just, you know, just making sure it's very broad. So we're yeah. working all aspects of that. Um, landings. So um, 
like basically landing and sticking it, mm. um, jumping onto a box, landing and jumping again, single leg hops and holds. You know, there's a plethora of things to do, but those are the key things that I would look at is mm. if you've got your athletes doing a lot of those things, you're along the right lines on the right lines yeah, yeah. And, and again jumping and landing if we go right back to the basics jumping mm-hmm. and landing would come from squat wouldn't it so if we look yeah. at the the movements which you mentioned so you've got squat yeah you've got a, a hinge action yeah you've got a vertical and a horizontal push and a pull yeah uh was there another one in there as well some core work so, so and, then the, all, and the yeah, core the right okay core, so in terms yeah. of the low, lower limit was yeah. mainly just around the squat wasn't it so mm-hmm. and and the landing and the jumping and the hopping stuff is going to be Again, branching out from those basic movements. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And so this is where we, where this conversation started. That I used to say to you, right? So this is our squat. Tell me what you see, mm. and I would, I would obviously, I would interrogate you on that stuff. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no nice way. <laughs> yeah, like, what do you see? What do you see? Tell right. Me. No. What is this correct? Is that yeah. what do I do about this? And what do I do about that? And she's got stiff ankles. Mm. I still need that position. And like, yeah, that, you know. And you taught me about the importance of you know shin and 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 body being you know as as parallel as possible yeah. and. And all the different intricacies because mm. a squat is a cut is a cut. You can be complex about it. Yeah. Essentially, it's a simple movement, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of ifs and buts, a lot of caveats, there's a lot of um, context. Amy, for example, Huge. let's just take Amy. Amy's lack of range in her in her ankles and her thoracic instability yeah. and all that kind of stuff meant that we never did a loaded squat above. Her hips. We just didn't want to do that. We didn't want the spine compression yeah, because it would have right. been unsafe. Um, we elevated her ankles mm-hmm. to release the fact that she's got tension there and she couldn't get to the range of motion. I mean, there were there were so many things that we did to make sure that she could still train that movement. Yeah. So a lot of coaches will think, well, squat's a squat. Yeah. And and again, I see it. There's a there's a trend now, which is a positive move in the right direction of of gymnasts doing landing mechanics. Yeah. But they'll jump off a block and they'll land in the wrong position and they'll just yeah. climb back on the block, jump off in the wrong position. I'm yeah. thinking, what an entire waste of time. Well, what are you reinforcing? Yeah, exactly. Well? Yeah. Like, it's not just the jumping and landing. <laughs> there are so much detail here. Yeah. And from my work around the world, and obviously you've seen my octagon that I mm-hmm. put together, um, if coaches just invested time in sorting that out at a high level, a lot of the other physical things would just... You know, the physical deficiencies, the red flags would be solved. The problems would be solved. Like, (laughs) the frustration. I know. Same. Guilty. (laughs) So it's like simplicity is genius, isn't it? It's just don't be afraid to do the simple things, but just make sure like, and I'm a big believer in this is all my teams that I work with, we do the basics, but we do them brilliantly well. And that means that I never stop coaching them. So you'll never see me just stood leaning while someone's doing a squat because there's work to be done there somewhere. You know, you can always get better at movement. I think it's naive to think that you can just say, oh, well, we've done our physical prep and here's a list of exercise and I've sort of just watched its movement, coach it. Yeah. And watch it get better as well. Particularly gymnasts. I don't, like, if you're, if you're not from that gymnastics background and you come into it, you're so blessed. Mm. You say things to your athletes and you change it like that. Yes. Sometimes I have to say things for three weeks in order to get one change. So, with gymnasts, you can coach them within a set and they get better and better and better. Why, why do you think that is? What's um, the difference there between the gymnasts and maybe the other athletes you're referring to? That's a great question. I thought about it a lot. I think it's having that length of time. When they when they first start, they get coached a lot. Yeah, and, and, they, six that years expo- old. and that exposure to coaching compared to the lads I get where they're 18 and they have had coaching, and very good coaching, some of them, you know, from professional academies. Mm. Um, but just that length of time you know, learning mm-hmm. constantly and they're very receptive. I think also as well, like just really biased. I think they're very good athletes. Yeah. Um, you know, because they do, they've done a lot of 
that sort of general stuff from a very long time. Mm. So when you're asking them to maybe just push a knee out, it's not the hardest thing they do in the week. So they'll do that. Yes. So. Yeah. And the devil's really in the details, isn't it? It's it's Must. And these are the intricacies that Jim Massey used to. Mm-hmm. So Jim Massey used to perfect form and, and yeah, receiving those bits changes. of feedback and things. Yeah. Whereas uh, maybe those tiny details, which just, I don't know, to a rugby player who's trying to push 250 kilos. Yeah. Or, you've or got bigger know. issues, right? You've got, you got bigger issues. And like, <laughs> Dan, shut up. Really? Yeah. Like you try pushing this weight? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I've been in your, this is important. I've been in your environment. Mm-hmm. I so got you, you in. You, and you know what? It was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get yourself in here, Nick. Leave your shoes on. How, how, how many rugby lads are in there? I think we had 30. Okay. Um, oh, man. And it's, yeah, it's, uh, like you said, a super different environment. Like, I mean, I just say this respectfully, I just came out feeling very inadequate as a male. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to get used I to that. I did a few push-ups when I got back to the, uh, <laughs> the house. No, I didn't no. really. But uh, it, was, it was a very interesting environment for me, and uh, but a great yeah. learning opportunity. Yeah. And seeing what like the physical body is capable of doing, and, yeah. and again, watch it on YouTube versus being in the room while they're where they're throwing around it's, metal like that. Yeah. I mean, it was... And moving it well. Oh, well. yeah. To- totally different. Yeah, and I think it's just, you know, you probably took one, two things away from that and put it into gymnastics. Amazing. Yeah. So, job done. That. You know, I think one, one of them, you mentioned there, yeah, one of them was definitely, like, how capable the human body is. Yeah. And, you know, we take these young girls and we think mm-hmm. they're fragile. Mm-hmm. And we're actually, if we treat them as being fragile, they will become fragile. Yeah, of course. Those young girls can be very good athletes, like you said, oh, very robust, fierce. very yeah. strong. You know, not being afraid to push them physically because that's how you're going to maximize, as long as you're obviously being smart about volume yeah, recovery, but that's how you're going to optimize their body. But yeah. a 10, 11 year old, 12 year old gymnast, I mean, they are machines. They are capable of a lot. Yeah, yeah. But uh, not if you treat them as tiny little girls that can't do anything. No, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't mm. it? It's, you know, if, if you're small, weak and fragile and you hear it enough, you're probably going to be small, weak and fragile where if you have confident coaches and, and confident coaches are ones that will bring people in for help as well. Yeah. So, you know, if you need to do some, some loading or some movement work or some strength and conditioning, get someone in and get them to have a look because they'll be super confident with them. So they'll just instill that in them. Be confident when you're doing this stuff. Absolutely. So can I ask you a question? Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. All right. So um, what are the issues or problems that you see in programming from, you know, when on your travels, what are the main things that you see? Programming. Yeah. Uh, okay, right. So there are some pretty obvious ones here. The first one's no structure. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like flavor, I call it flavor of the day. It's whatever nice. whatever the coach kind of wants to do yeah. on that day. Mm-hmm. And that's usually as a result of just a lack of preparation, organization, maybe clarity. Because yeah. the coach doesn't really know about programming. So therefore they just say, right, uh, right, we've got conditioning. I don't know, do two rope climbs, do this, do that. And that's it. Mm-hmm. As long as they've moved physically, yeah. They've ticked the box. That that'll probably be the first thing. Um, not supervising and monitoring it. Mm-hmm. You know, basically treating your physical preparations like a babysitting exercise. Yeah. Right, go do that. I've got something else to do. Yeah. Whether that's sitting in the office or talking to another coach or checking your phone or whatever it is. Yeah. Like a lot of coaches will will say that physical preparation is the most important part of an athlete's development. Yet they won't necessarily demonstrate that yeah. whilst they're in the gym. So that'll be another one. Um, Mixing a nine-year-old with a fifteen-year-old, yeah, and you've seen this. I've seen that. Just treating them all the same, just uh, you just can't do that. You know, yeah. you, I mean, there are certain things that you can mm-hmm. grab a skipping rope, yeah. run around the gym, yeah, do a bit of this. But if you've got a nine-year-old doing the same plyo program as a fifteen-year-old, there's something immensely wrong there. Either the nine-year-old's completely out of their depth, or the fifteen-year-old is is severely lacking in their physical abilities. Yeah. You know, you just shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And again, it's done for convenience because. Yeah. 
whether the coach doesn't want to program two things, maybe they don't have the space, maybe there's only one coach and they don't want to monitor two groups. And yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons, well, of yeah. reasons, but they're all just sort of barriers which can be yeah. worked around yeah. with smart coaching and, and the right environment. Um, so that'll be another one. Um, not enough physical prep is the is the major one that nice. I see. It's that like they don't they don't do that kind of third of time yeah. spent on physical, yeah. um, or maybe they allocate the time but they don't actually use the time. Yeah, yeah, like we talked about. Earlier. Yeah, and then and then they're looking for more time. They're like, well, we need another four hours. No, no, you really don't. Like, <laughs> it's there. Yeah, but the thing is, Dan, working hard is hard work. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. not everyone's cut out for it. Mm. And that's just a reality. Yeah, coaches and gym masters. Yeah, yeah. Not all gym masters want to work hard. Mm-hmm. Not all coaches want to work no. hard because it's hard work. And it's just like, and that that's the reality. There are so many reasons why some coaches succeed and, and some don't. And a lot of that's down to work ethic. Great coaches fill the time with productive stuff and, and less uh, competent, less, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Less successful coaches in terms of like results at yeah. least. Probably won't do that. And I guess the last thing would be a lack of progression. So, you know, you teach you teach a skill. Let's say a squat is a skill. Mm-hmm. They might tick that box and say, right, my 10-year-old can do a squat. I'm done there. It's like, well, actually, there's a million progressions of that yeah. one movement. Um, there's regressions and progressions of, of everything. So, like, just when you've taught them to do a squat jump, and you might not have taught them, you might just have asked them to do a squat mm-hmm. jump. You say, oh, my kid can do a squat jump. It's like, right, okay, well, they can, but look, what's the next step? Yeah. Because you've got that learned by eight years old, nine years old, and you've got, 18 years or however 15 10 years ahead of them or well, what you're gonna do you're gonna do that same movement for the next 10 Forever, years yeah. or or are you gonna find another progression so i think they're probably the most common things that's really interesting um and again you know i can go in without an observational bias and it's just so easy for me to see this stuff yeah yeah just just pluck it out and um and don't mean this in an, in an arrogant way, but I've become very good at what I do because yeah. you become good at whatever you spend your time on. Of course, at, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and if you threw me back in a gym coaching 40 hours a week, it would take me a while to readjust to that and become yeah. really good at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but doing what I'm doing now, I mean, I think I was in 11 countries this year. Like I said, I've done 19 federations now, hundreds, yeah. probably thousands of clubs and, and work with so many coaches and I get faced with all the issues. So, it's it's I've become very good at assessing yeah. these things, helping people with it, teaching mm-hmm. these learning concepts, and um, and I enjoy that. And I say I don't say that in an arrogant way. I would. It's, it's just you get good at wherever you spend deliberate time. Yeah. And I spend all my time focused in this direction now. So it's um. Yeah. You've got to make the most of that time when you're there as well, mm. which I find really interesting. Is you're not not being a full time coach, you are going to get those. You're going to find things and get to them straight away, right? You've got a plane book to come back at some point. So. Yeah got solved problems that's it yeah. yeah whereas coaches can get caught up in their own environment and their own issues within the club course, so they you know they just get blind yeah, to what's going on it's, it's not easy yeah are there any sort of now so that was your question to me yeah. I'm going to ask one back to you now so I'm taking the reins again Feel free. Um, are there any things in gymnastics that we do that you just find a bit odd because <laughs> I know you've yeah. worked in a lot of sports but is there anything that sh- like shocked you about gymnastics yeah. amazing so um, you know you can you can teach an athlete to do a backflip but then when it comes to doing a split squat, the, the technical coach freezes. Mm. And for me, the more complex thing out of the two of those is, is a backflip. Back yeah. If you asked me to coach an athlete one, I'd, I'd, I'd shy away from it, mm. put it that way. And I think it's, that just blows my mind. And I think it's this, this, this worry about not knowing, you know, about that, a certain topic. And I think, I think that, that's the thing for me. It's, you know, you see, you know, 
happily coach them to spin around the bars or do a backflip or do a massive tumble, but then it's, you know, do a, do a squat or do, or do a split squat or a single leg squat and it's just like complete freeze. Mm. A mental like, oh, that's your thing, that's not my thing. Yeah. Or you can teach them to do a backflip. Yeah, so basically what you're saying is, that is, is a back, backflip is, is significantly more complex and te- technically in what you're asking. So don't shy away from this. It's just yeah, a grey yeah. area because maybe the time hasn't been invested. Yeah, of course. It's like, like I said earlier, it's like that split squat isn't probably the most technical thing yeah. you're going to do all week. And um, see it that way mm. as well. Of just be confident with it. And it's, movement is movement. Yes. So we all coach movement. Yeah. Let's all go coach movement together. Nice. Mm. Awesome, Dan. Look, it's been a great episode. I've really yeah, enjoyed it's this. Fun, it's, it's flown, fun, flown it? by. Yeah, definitely. Could we could have for hours. Could have talked for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so, what are you doing right now? Obviously, now I, I, I already know the answer to that, of course. Yeah. Now, what's great from my perspective is you're moving back into a little bit of a gymnastics focus now as well, yeah. moving forwards, and yeah. amongst still the other sports that you're working with. Yeah. What, what does that kind of look like moving forwards from now? So, uh, moving forwards, I'm looking at definitely going into gymnastics. Mm. So, um, setting up sort of a uh, gymnastic strength and conditioning sort of consultancy thing so mm. pop into gyms and, and try and solve some of these key issues we're seeing yeah because i love it since i left it i've missed it i want to get back into it um and, and you've got a lot of value to add and i can obviously i can definitely uh, yeah. affirm that for sure yeah so that's something i you know that's 100 percent going to happen and i'll start to put out some decent things out there as well try and inform some people on what's going on yeah um, and then I moved. I moved up northeast. So I'm down in Nottingham now, and I work for a company called Sport Nine Eight One. And we work in a range of sports, from ranging from you know university athletes to Olympic level to professional um, football and rugby. So, uh, and that's great as well. You know, just I'm I'm very fortunate where I'm at is just to learn learn around. In my opinion, some of the industry leaders in the UK. Yeah. And I just sit and have coffee with them every day. Mm. So I'm back into that learning environment, which is what I wanted when I left a very um, delivery heavy at, at Durham University. Yes. So I'm learning again and then it sort of set my sights on going back. No, it's brilliant. Gymnastics. Yeah, awesome. So where can people find out a bit of information? I know you're, you're most active on Twitter, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, what's your handle on Twitter? That's a great question. That, well, if they type in Dan Lonsdale, they'll find you. Yeah, so that'll be uh, Dan Lonsdale SC. Dan Lonsdale yes. SC for yes. strength and conditioning. Yeah. yeah, and then that's me on sort of Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, um, awesome. That, yeah, and the then, best place to find you at the moment. Yeah, it? for now, and just reach out on there as well. Excellent. You reach out. I'll sort of, I'll try and put something a little bit more concrete together gymnastics wise in the new year. Yeah, it's good. And, and uh, you know, you're in my Facebook group, the Gymnastics Growth Club. I'm so if there, anyone's yeah. listening to this um, and you're not part of the free facebook group the gymnastics growth club um there's over i think there's like two and a half thousand people in there dan's in there as well so if ever there's a a strength and conditioning or a physical prep question um posted in there dan floats around in there just to see what's going on he's he's, thankfully i appreciate it you've contributed to to, to helping those out so um you can always find them in there yeah yeah, i'm always always having a little watch on that and just see what's going on awesome buddy but thanks for your time i enjoyed that excellent wasn't it nice good man that's cool that's so much fun Thanks for listening to the Gymnastics Growth Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes or your chosen podcast player, subscribe, leave a review and share the show with your network. See you next time.